Well, you found me again. You are listening to, in some weird postmodern way, the personal blog of Kenneth John Odell. That's me. If you're an optimist, the world is merely falling apart. If you're a pessimist, the world is going to hell. Your choice. My choice is... I have a beer. It's Oberon season. I live in the same city that Bells is, is located in, and it is glorious Oberon season. Of course, the nearest liquor store that has it is closed, and that kind of sucks, but, um, oh well, here's to Bells. Ah, good stuff. Hope I'll be around next year to drink some more of it. So, today is Saturday, March 28th, and you are listening to episode number nine of The Silent Noise Project. My friends, this was going to be the chicken sushi episode, because I found out not so long ago that chicken sushi is a thing. Now, I'm not suggesting that you eat meat, but there's a lot of things that you can do with raw chicken. You can grill it, you can fry it, you can bake it, you can roast it, you can you can shish kebab it, you can do all sorts of things with it, but the one thing you do not do with raw chicken is stick it in your mouth. And this was going to be a warning to people who enjoy such things. And I was going to end this nice little parable with a note that when they tell this story in the future, it would end with this. And that, children, is how white people went extinct. Actually, now, I think there's a different way that white people are going to go extinct. At least the white people I saw out at the grocery store today. Anyway, you are listening to, in some weird postmodern way, the Silent Noise Project usual warnings apply. This is not safe for work. It's not safe for school because I say bad words. I say naughty things. And if you don't like it, you might just want to shut things down now. Um, Those of you who know me in real life, of course, will be like, I cannot believe we are three minutes into this podcast and you have not yet dropped an F-bomb. Yeah, well, I'm getting mellow in my old age, folks, but um, I will eventually get around to dropping those. And probably a few other naughty words, because these are unusual times, and unusual times call for true expressions of your feelings. So, with all that said, let's hark back to a more cheerful time. Dreaming dreams, we all do. Working hard so they come true. You can get a helping hand at Kmart stores there.
you know, now that I think about it, I'm not even sure that the not safe for work label or not safe for school label even applies anymore. I mean, isn't everybody dropping F-bombs at this point? Yeah, I think they are. Anyway, chapter two, happier days. I, I actually find, I can't remember where I found that Kmart ad, but I just love it. Um, it's from 1973, and that was hardly a happy time in America. It was the tail end of the Vietnam War. Tricky Dick was being a tricky dick. There was racial unrest. There was economic unrest. Disco was on the way to save us all. I love disco. But that ad just sounds so damn cheerful. And, you know, notice, notice it's all in third person. It's like, let me tell you about my friend Kmart that is going to do so many wonderful things for you. You know, and it is a cheerful, upbeat song. The melody is very catchy. And it's just, you know, the ad was meant to put you in a good mood. So you're like, hey, I've got a little change in my pocket. I need some new underwear. Guess I'll get myself down to the Kmart and buy some. We don't get ads like that anymore. There's a lot of musical production quality in that, actually. And I'll tell you, that clip, I forget where I got it, but I'll figure it out and I'll put it in the show notes. That clip is one minute and two seconds long, and I must have spent four hours one Saturday afternoon trying to clean that up because it's off an old uh, cassette tape, I believe, and the levels are just all over the place, and there was a lot of noise and but you know what? When it's something that beautiful, and I mean that sincerely, I'll devote the four hours it takes to clean it up, because then I can bring it to you, my wonderful listeners, and you can enjoy it. So, of course, when I was a kid, we actually had three Kmarts in our neighborhood. They were all really, really bright. I mean, like, everything in there was white. The walls, the floors, the ceilings. There were lots of light. Um, and... I think 12, 10, 12, 15 years ago, all three of those just completely closed down. There are no Kmarts to be had. You know, I remember going there and buying shoes and school clothes and socks and underwear. Um, and at the tail end, they started adding groceries. And it's like, well, cool, I'll go get a two liter of Diet Pepsi and and drink it while I'm doing something. And they just all closed down all of them in this area. So if you have a Kmart in your area, I think you're pretty doggone lucky and you have a piece of my childhood. The Kmart uh, that I'm thinking of was on Westnage Avenue. It had a material section because my mom was uh, a sewer, seamstress, sewer, tailor, however you want to word it. Uh, and she would go in there and buy material off the bolt and she would buy what are called notions in the sewing world, which means like thread, buttons, zippers, that kind of thing. And then there was a grill. All the Kmarts used to have a grill. I mean, they had a restaurant in the goddamn store. They had a restaurant in the store. And it was kind of cafeteria style, which as a kid, I thought was just like the coolest thing in the world. You get a tray, you start walking down the, the, uh, the cases, you tell the people what they want, they serve it up, they put it on a plate, they hand you the plate, you put it on your tray, you slide your tray down, and then you get to the end and your parent pays for you. And I just thought that was like the coolest thing ever. And it's like, oh, let's go to Kmart. Oh, sure. Can we get a hot dog while we're there? I mean, I just, I just thought that was the bomb diggity. 
Now, yes, I had very pedestrian tastes as a child, and I have very pedestrian tastes now, even though I am drinking Oberon by Bell's, and no, I'm not getting any money from them. It's just really good beer. But folks, in a pinch, I will drink Bush Light. In a pinch, I have drunk Bush Light. And I will tell you something. I have been pinched many, many times. You know what? Thirst and hunger are the best things to make things taste better. So, ah, another delicious taste of Oberon. If you don't get Oberon around where you are, um, I feel really bad for you. And of course, if you don't like beer, eh, you're off the hook. But anyway, so I was talking about, well, I was, well, I was talking about Kmart because I had happy memories of it, but I have happy memories of beer too. But anyway, even though the world, at least the United States, was in a terrible place when that song came out, that song, it's like, a, well, you know what? When I was a little kid, I was listening to that on the radio and I really couldn't necessarily distinguish between what were ads and what were songs. Advertisers really like it when adults can't do that either. But uh, yeah, I mean, I was listening to that like it was a song. I mean, you know, you hear certain jingles and you're like, oh, I love this commercial. It's got the best little song. So, but anyway, this was not a great time in America. But if somebody found the time and the energy to do something cheerful and, you know, even if they're trying to get people to just go in and buy some goddamn underwear, they're doing it in a great way. And I think the world needs more of that. So on to the next thing.
That was Brother Cleave and his lush orchestra, and his song, their song, Shaken Not Stirred. I guess we're going to have a lot of alcohol references tonight. Is everybody all right with that? I'm all right with that. Yeah, let's have a lot of alcohol references. Well, we're going to have at least two, three. Uh, I'm going through my notes. Um, About 15, maybe. I don't know. I'm going to have to get another beer if that keeps up. So, yeah, anyway, chapter two. Chapter two, love in the time of coronavirus. I was I was thinking about just ab- abandoning my usual format and just kind of just talking for like eight hours because I have so much to say. But uh, yeah, it, it's just it's really crazy around here, and I'm not quite sure what the hell is going on. Um, so I, I'm, I'm yeah, let's let's try to keep this to a single part of the podcast. Uh, the coronavirus and the disease that it produces, the COVID nineteen uh, disease, is a very scary situation. Stephen King, years ago, years ago, um, before he wrote Carrie and became really famous, he was writing uh, short stories that he published in men's magazines. And then he wrote Carrie and it became uh, very famous and made him very popular. And his publishers were like, you need to write another book. Give us some more stuff. And he says, well, I've got these short stories I published. And they put them in together in a book called Night Shift. And, you know, you can't find that book anywhere. Um, I can't find it on Amazon. I can't find it on Barnes & Noble. I can't find it. I just can't find it. There are really, really good stories in there. Uh, but he has one, and I can't remember what it was called. But it starts off with, it was just the flu. And, of course, you know, science fiction writers have been predicting things like this for years. And thank God they're usually wrong. But I imagine right now... There are a lot of amateur science fiction stories that start with, it began with toilet paper. And I don't understand the whole toilet paper thing. I, I don't understand why people started hoarding it. There were no shortages reported. This was this stuff was being hoarded by people before they ever said, you know, we're going to have to shelter in place. And this vicious cycle started, and it extended from toilet paper to paper towels and hand sanitizer and, and, and food even. Um this vicious cycle where people create shortages by going and buying everything up and then somebody else comes and sees well my gosh everybody else is buying stuff and the shelves are starting to empty out so i'd better buy some more stuff and then you know there's no shortage the truck comes the next day and they put more stuff on the shelf and then people are like oh well this was empty yesterday and now it's full i better buy some and they buy all of this stuff up now assuming Assuming that we have good management of this at the state level, because I tell you right now, at the federal level, it's fuck all. It really is. I, I mean, it, they they could not be bumbling it worse than they possibly could. But if we have good leadership at the state level, we're going to get through this. And in three months, people are going to emerge from this hazy thinking that they're in, and they're going to say, what are we going to do with these eight cases of toilet paper and 60 pounds of dried beans? Capitalism loves these kinds of situations, really, because you get to sell more stuff. You get to sell stuff to people that normally wouldn't buy it in the first place. And guess what? You also get to jack up prices. You know, and then they'll always say, well, you know, the laws of supply and demand, the supply is low, the demand is high. And I'm like, no, I, no, I don't buy it. I think, I think you're, you know, that, that, that only works so much. I mean, if you look at, at property values, a house is only worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. 
So if you look at a million dollar mansion that's in a terrible neighborhood and they say, well, it's worth a million dollars, but it sits on the market for two, two or three years and never sells, obviously it's not worth that much because people aren't willing to pay for it. So I don't know. I, I really don't know. Um, I think I think a lot of capitalism is absolute bullshit. I think capitalism works best when it's highly regulated, and that has certainly shown itself to be true this time around. Um, and of course, now we have socialism to the rescue because in the last few days before my state shut down, when I was buying some groceries, stores were starting to place limits on how many things people can buy. So no, you cannot buy all 86 cans of pinno beans that are on the shelf. You can only buy four. And that meant that the shelves were getting filled and they were saying at least half full. You were starting to see stock returning to the to the shelves. You know, it's a way to regulate that fear and greed that capitalism thrives on. You got to understand, capitalism really thrives on the baser aspects of our nature. I'm not a big fan of capitalism without regulation because the regulation is supposed to rein in the seven diddly, seven diddly. I wish they were diddly sins. No, the seven deadly sins. Um, the greed, the avarice, all of that. I mean, this is, this is why if you're going to have capitalism, you need a lot of regulation. You really do because people are just going crazy out there. Now, the irony in all of this for me is that, uh, for the most part, uh, for the past 10, 15 years, I think, well, back up like two and a half years and then go the next like 15 years back, I'd been living out in the country or in small towns. I wasn't always driving into the city every day. So yeah, I would go to Sam's Club and I would actually, oh, toilet paper's on sale. Let's get two cases. It's going to last me nine months, but that's okay because I got a really good deal on it. And I would do the same thing with food. I would see something that was on sale. I would buy a lot of it. That way I wouldn't have to go back into town and, and get it. Because if you've ever lived in a small town, you know, small town grocery stores are really expensive. Well, here's the irony. Uh, two years ago, just over two years ago, I moved back to the city. And so, of course, I have uh, plenty of access to stores. And I kept saying, well, you know, quit buying things in bulk. You don't need the 15-pound bag of potatoes. I moved in December. But until then, I literally lived within walking distance of uh, a Meyer, a Rite Aid, a Walgreen, a Walmart, and a Target and a Sam's Club. So it was, it was pretty damn easy to just go buy what I needed. So I had just gotten back into the habit of not buying 20 pounds of things when all I needed was one, simply because there it was. And now I spent like the last two weeks stocking up on stuff again because the world is coming to an end. And of course, we all want to be well fed when the world ends. I mean, why go out hungry, right? So there, there is some irony in this. What's happening in my state is we went on uh, shelter in place, stay at home, however you want to call it, lockdown, uh, Tuesday night of this week at a minute after midnight. And of course, the, the, the governor's order says, well, essential businesses can stay open. And basically, every business around here has decided we're essential. You know, we sell something that doctors and nurses might need. So we're essential. No, no, we're not. Uh, essential businesses are maybe 10 to 15% of the ones that are out there. Yeah, we need gas stations, we need grocery stores, we need pharmacies. Um, probably a hardware store, just to fix things. Um, 
Plus, you know, if you need to repair a ventilator or something like that, uh, you can get tubing and, and screws and nuts and bolts at a hardware store. But everybody else, you, you're not essential. You know, just because, you know, you don't want to lose money. No, you're not essential. And again, I place the blame on the federal government, not saying to small businesses, go ahead, close down for three months or two months or three weeks or whatever, and we'll cover any losses you've got. They should have done that. That way people could have stayed the hell home, washed their damn hands like the trash pandas we all are, and and gotten rid of this disease. Um, instead, I, I I had to go buy I had to go buy groceries uh, for my parents. I bought groceries Monday before the stay at home order went into place. I mean, my parents have been on lockdown for the last two weeks. I, I won't let them leave their house. Um, I, I haven't seen them in that time. I said I will. I will buy whatever groceries you need. I'll. I, I have a door. To, I have a key to their garage door. I said I'll leave them in your garage. I'll lock the door and I'll let you know that they're there. And that's what I've been doing. Um, I dropped off some groceries to them Monday. I said I'm probably going to go back out again on Thursday very quickly to get some things. Um, and they were like, Oh, you know, well, we need milk and bananas and some apples and. You know, and I planned on, yeah, you're probably going to have to get some produce. Um, I found some nice avocados. I threw a couple of those in there. And I went and I, I left them in the garage. And I got in, I locked the door. I got in my car. I drove off and I called them and I said, hey, you know, your milk and your fruit are in the garage. You know, I mean, this is the way we stop this thing. Um, but I went to the grocery store. I had gloves on. I had a face mask that I made. There are actually lots of instructions on the internet for making a, a face mask and people are like well you're just making it out of whatever it's not 100% effective but you know what 50% effective is better than 0% effective so but I, they were they weren't they weren't using gloves they weren't using masks they weren't uh you know staying 6 feet apart from other people i'd be i'd wait for everybody to clear out so i could go look at the display of bananas and i'm standing there and some woman just walks right up to me and starts mauling the bananas and i'm like Get the fuck away from me. That is not six goddamn feet. I mean, I was so fucking pissed. It's like, y'all know what six feet look like. But people just don't care. And a lot of people are going to have to die in this country, sadly, um, before people get their heads out of their asses about this. And sadly, um, we're going to learn a lot of lessons the hard way with this thing. And this disease will pass. And three or four years down the road, uh, there's going to be another one. And all of the lessons we just learned, they they will have gone right out the window. You remember, I've said this before, we have an economy that is based very much on Christmas and war. And pretty much by the time Christmas rolls around, everybody will have forget, forgotten about this. So uh, mark my words, that will be a thing, sadly. Do you need some more music? I need some more music. Let's have uh, some math and physics club. Let me sing you a song The last five seconds of love oh, I can sing you a song About the last five seconds of love oh, I was so shy 
the Math and Physics Club with their song Graduation Day, which coincidentally, I just found today. But I think if you listen to the lyrics, yeah, there's a lot that's applicable to the certain situation that we are in now. Such as, learn how to stay the fuck away from other people. That's a good lesson. Anyway, chapter three, isn't it ironic? And I'm not sure if this counts as irony or not. You know, I have an English major, and I know people use the word ironic the wrong way all the time, and uh, there is a comic out there on the internet known as The Oatmeal. I believe his name is Matthew Inman. Um, If you know me, you know The Oatmeal. And he has a whole thing uh, on his website about the three most common uses of irony. And part of what bugs English majors about irony is people often use the word ironic when things aren't ironic. Irony means that um, you're expecting this, but you get that. Uh, there's there's a difference in expectation. There's a difference between what's expected and what ends up happening. And so you you get songs like "Ironic" by Alanis Morissette, and believe me, I love that song, and I love Alanis Morissette. But nothing in that song is ironic because it's not about the difference between what's expected and what actually happens uh, really everything in that song is just unfortunate circumstances guy buys a lottery ticket when he's 98 years old dies the next day 
Well, you know, he'd probably been buying lottery tickets a long time. Never won any of them. The fact that he died the day after he won them. Well, you know, you could be like 23, buy a winning lottery ticket, and get run over by a bus. There's no reversal of expectations there. And actually, she has a, she has a, there's a, there was always this line in here that struck me. It's meeting the man of my dreams and then meeting his beautiful wife. And isn't it ironic, don't you think? And, and no, I don't think it's ironic because, yeah, you know, men tend to get married. And if you're not there first, well, you know, you're not going to be able to marry him because he's already married to somebody else. What would make that line ironic would be it's meeting the man of my dreams and then meeting his beautiful husband. Because guess what? Even if he were single, you and he want the same thing out of life, Alanis. That's the irony. You thinking he's available and then the expectation that you could marry him because he's the man of your dreams. But guess what? He wants the same thing you do. That's that's the twist that gives you irony. So I don't know if this situation that I'm going into is is irony or if it's just a coincidence. It just sounds better to say, isn't it ironic, rather than, isn't it a coincidence? But anyway, um, I have been trying really, really hard to cut my book collection down to something that's manageable, because for years I have burdened myself, myself, yes, I have, yes, I am large, I contain multitudes, I can say that, and not sound like I have multiple personality disorder, but um, for years, I have burdened myself with a lot of books because I like books. The irony is the last three to four years, I really haven't had a lot of time or energy to write, or to, to read. Um, and I do have too many books, and I've, I've tried to clear some of them out. And then, of course, I went to the library six weeks ago to drop off some books that I'd borrowed, and it just happens to be the Saturday that they're having their book sale. So I said, you know what? I looked in my wallet. I had $5 in cash. I know they don't take debit cards. So I said, you know, I'll spend a few bucks. Actually, I bought a couple of DVDs. And their science fiction paperbacks were three for a dollar, I'm going to say. Anyway, so I bought I bought three of them. And one of them was called The Web of the Chosen by a man named Jack L. Chalker. I'm trying to figure out this from my notes, which are hazy at best. Um, but I picked it up because there's a, a person on the ground on the front cover, and they're they're covered with wet spaghetti. And I'll include a picture of this in the show notes down below. And if you've ever taken like a little bit of LSD um, or a mushroom while your cat is in the room, and then your cat evolves into this weird kind of, yeah, okay. If you haven't done that, you have no idea what I'm talking about, so there's no point in my going on. If you have done that, you know exactly what I'm talking about, so there's no point in my going on. Um, but yeah, those those critters are on the front cover as well. But anyway, I'd never heard of the author. I'd never heard of the book. But I'm like, this cover seems so familiar. I don't know what the hell. And it wasn't until I'd actually finished reading the book that I looked at the back cover, and it turns out that the cover art was by Ralph McQuarrie, who had done a lot of the artwork for the original Star Wars. 
So, yeah, okay. I'm like, okay, now I know where I've seen this. This is the inside of Princess Leia's space cruiser when she goes out for a space drive to buy space groceries. And, yeah, there's a little Family Guy reference in there. But anyway, this is the part that's a weird coincidence. And I'm not, I'm not going to give you spoilers in case you want to read the book. I, is it a great book? It, it was entertaining. I would give it 6 or 7 out of 10. Um, it's not the best book in the world. It's certainly not the worst book in the world. It kept me entertained. That's the whole purpose of a book. It's supposed to entertain you. It entertained the hell out of me for a while. But basically, it's about this space cowboy type person, and I forget his name, but um, I don't have the book with me. So let me pause, and I will go grab the book. I, I can actually read you what the, the back cover says. Hang on. See, this is the kind of shit that happens when you just don't have your shit together and you say, hey, let's do a podcast, even though I have none of my shit together. I swear to God, it is like I have never used Audacity before. I'm using my old USB headset when I have this beautiful Behringer C1U microphone that I drunk ordered uh, like a year and a half ago, which does a great job of recording. And for some reason, I'm, I'm, I'm not using it. I, I have no idea. And then, and this part is ironic. I never get text messages in the evening because nobody loves me. Okay, well, my mom does, but she doesn't really do texting, so she'll call me instead. So, But I sit down, and I start recording this podcast, and my phone is in the next room, and all of a sudden, it just explodes with goddamn motherfucking text messages, and I'm like, really? Of all, I mean, it couldn't have happened an hour before. It couldn't have happened tomorrow. It had to happen now. Hey, let's do something that requires the peace and quiet that I normally get, and all of a sudden, my goddamn phone explodes. Uh, well, okay. Is it an ironic? But anyway, so back to the web of the Chosen with a Z. And I, and I think now I need to put the, uh, the back cover on, on in the show notes as well. So big green letters, nobody beats Bar Holiday. He was paid to find terraformable worlds, new planets for his corporation to plunder, up until the day he came upon the Peace Victory, an abandoned generation ship hovering ominously above a definitely habitable world he believed nobody ever could. Um, I'm not sure that sentence makes a whole lot of sense. Anyway, uh, nobody beats Bar Holiday in even bigger green letters, because he was never satisfied with anything lower than first place, because he was always the oddball, in charge of his own welfare, his own destiny, a man determined to make his mark in the world and win all games at any cost. And then in the biggest green letters, nobody ever beats Bar Holiday, because he only took the wrong chances at the right times, but on the planet Patmos, and yes, there's some Christian analogies in here, uh, where everything looked safe, but nothing was, Bar Halliday had at last met his match. And I'm not going to give too much away here by by looking at the two critters on the front of this book and the person wrapped in, in, in spaghetti. You know, I started reading this book and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm like 10% into this book and I'm like, oh, I get it. So, because he, he finds this planet and there are no humans on it, where there should be like thousands of humans, and instead there are, you know, thousands of these creatures that are depicted on the front cover. And 
I'm like, oh, I, I know what this is. So they land on this planet and some weird microorganism transforms them into these organisms, into these creatures. And yeah, that actually happens like 20% of the way into the book. And I'm like, well, that was disappointing. I mean, that was so obvious. And so I'm not really giving anything away if you decide to read this book by saying, yeah, you, you, you're going to see it coming. And I'm like, Okay, but wait, if, if that was the whole point of the book, what is the, the rest of the damn book about? That's not a spoiler, because really the rest of the book is is what happens. Oh, God, it's so complicated. Um, And I think that's why I was so highly entertained by it, because I'm like, okay, but that's what I was expecting to happen, and that's what actually happened. And I guess if there's irony involved... It's that I thought that was the whole crux of the book, but it's not. And I, I kind of feel like I'm, I'm trying to sell you this book, you know, the way those guys that did like the 30-minute infomercials, and it's like, but wait, there's more. And, and there is more. And I can't quite decide if this is a book that just loves and celebrates capitalism, or if it's a book that loves and celebrates socialism, or if it's a book that just loves and and celebrates weird religious cults or if it's a book that just loves and celebrates individuality it's it's a really complicated book actually and there are no easy answers but anyway i figured it was just kind of coincidental that about three weeks ago i finished this book that's about a microorganism that manages to transform the whole human race and guess what we're dealing with now an organism that transforms the whole human race well damn isn't it ironic? Hmm. Okay, Houston, we've had a problem here. This is Houston, say again, please. Uh, Houston, we've had a problem. Well, you bet your ass we've had a problem. We've come to the end of the damn podcast. What the hell are we going to do now? At any rate, you have been listening to, in some weird postmodern way, the personal blog of Kenneth John Odell. That's me. Feel free to comment. Be nice. Be relevant. Be interesting. That's the one thing I really do like from people. Uh, two songs tonight, Graduation Day by Math and Physics Club and uh, Shaken Not Stirred by Brother Cleave and his Lush Orchestra. Both come to us courtesy of Comfort Stand Recordings, who is no longer publishing music, but through some miracle of the internet, their website is still up, so please pay them a visit. Interstitial Music is courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.org. As always, there are show notes down below. I don't have any shout-outs, so hey! I am shouting out to you. Uh, in some weird postmodern way and the Silent Noise Project, our copyright 2020. That's 2020. 2020. And then Roman numeral M something 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 M something. By me, Kenneth John Odell, and are released under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial share-alike license. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. You can always find all of these podcasts at insomeweirdpostmodernway.net, which is conveniently abbreviated ISWPW.net. As always, thanks for listening. If I put a lot of references out there that you don't get, that's fine. Like Jude, sometimes my references are pretty obscure.